You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Today we're continuing our series on the fruit of the Spirit. It's called The Fruit. We're keeping it really simple. We're talking about the fruit that God produces in our lives. It all comes from this key verse right here, Galatians 5, starting in verse 22. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are some things that as we walk close with God, we should see these things produced in our lives. And one thing we talked about last week is this. It doesn't matter how much I want to produce these, the, the things on this list in my life. It doesn't matter if I'm not connected to Jesus, if I'm not abiding in him, remaining in a close relationship with him, the only um, versions of these that I can produce are counterfeit. I, I may have, I may be happy, but I don't have fulfilling joy in my life. If I'm not abiding in Jesus, I may feel calm, but I don't, I don't have peace that surpasses all understanding. The fruit of the spirit is once again, it is, Um, something that we bear, we bear the fruit, but God is the source of the fruit. And that's where we miss it sometimes. We talked about that a little bit last week where we we think, well, I need to try to be more patient. I need to try to have more self-control. And we're trying to get a fruit rather than working on, am I connected to the spirit of God through my relationship with Jesus so he can produce peace in my life. So he can produce self-control in my life. I have to do my part. And God says, I will produce all of these fruit in your life. Whenever you may need it, it will be available for you. Today, we're talking about the second one, which is joy. Everyone say joy. Joy. This is a, this is a really good one. In fact, I think there's a lot of misconception when it comes to um, the joy of Jesus. And there's a great contrast between worldly joy and godly joy. The worldly definition of joy is this. It's a feeling of great pleasure and happiness when circumstances make me feel good. It's happy. It is, it's, uh, it's great pleasure when the circumstances make me feel good. This is the natural kind of joy or happiness that shows up in our life. It's easy to be joyful and to be happy when things are going good. When all the bills are paid, when everyone's healthy, when my vehicle works the way that it's supposed to work, where the, where the power is on and we have AC, amen, somebody, right? It's easy to be happy, but my joy is tested when the power goes out and I don't have AC for a few days. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody, right? So that, the, it's easy. The worldly joy is it's easy and it's natural when circumstances benefit me. And that's one of the easiest ways to identify counterfeit fruit versus the fruit of the Spirit. Counterfeit fruit, it looks like the fruit of the Spirit, but it is selfish and self-focused when it benefits me. I will love you. Last week we talked about worldly love is I'll love you if I can get something in return, if uh, you'll be nice to me in return. Biblical joy is this, though. Biblical joy is a fruit that the Holy Spirit produces that helps us see Jesus in every and all situations. It helps me see Jesus in every and all situations. So let me dive into it, and I'll kind of show you what I mean by that. Point number one is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus is joyful. Simple. Jesus is joyful. Now, (laughs) our world paints Jesus, literally paints him in, in, in pictures, as a very super serious person who never seems to have a good time. Right? If you just get on Google and you look, look up paintings or pictures of Jesus, 95% of them are going to be a very serious face. 
in a very serious situation, and he's not going to look like he's a very happy or joyful person. That's how our world has portrayed him. Now, don't get me wrong in this. Jesus, in Scripture, we see uh, Jesus also flips tables when he needs to. He also makes whips, and he drives out people that are turning his father's house into a den of thieves and liars. He also does that. Uh, scripture shows us that when he comes back someday, his robe is going to be dri- uh, dipped in blood, right? So um, there is a serious side to Jesus. But today, for the, si- the sake of looking at the fruit of the Spirit, I want to show us how Jesus is joyful. In fact, one of the things we need to remember is, is that the disciples, except for Peter, many theologians believe the disciples were teenagers, except for Peter. Most of them were dropouts from school. They were rejects from school, but they were about late teenage years. And so even just thinking about that, if you've been around a group of 10 to 12 teenage boys, uh, you can imagine they're normally not super serious all the time. Things can get a little rowdy. I grew up with two older brothers, and just the three of us, uh, we could joke around pretty good, and we could uh, break a lot of things in my parents' house pretty easily. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, we were, we were roughhousing. We were having a good time. There was times to be serious, but there was also times where we were young men, and we would, uh, we would have a good time and joke around a lot. Here's some other clues that we see that Jesus is joyful, uh, simply in the fact of that he was invited to people's homes. I don't know about you, but I only invite people to my house that I want to come to my house. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, that's, that's what I invite to my home. Jesus was invited to people's homes. He spent times at weddings, at, at feasts, and at festivals. Uh, one of the greatest examples, though, I would say that we know that Jesus was joyful is this. Kids were fighting the crowd so they could get close to Jesus. What I love about kids is this. Kids have a good gauge for authenticity. People can say uh, that they're, you know, they're, they're great with kids and that they like kids and all this stuff, but you can tell pretty quick, based on the kid's reaction, uh, if that person is authentic or not. And uh, kids have a really good gauge for that. And what I love is that we see many times in Scripture, we see kids fighting the crowd so that they can get to Jesus and be close with him. Look at Hebrews 1.9, though. This is where we see exactly what I'm talking about here. We see it in Scripture. This is a verse speaking of Jesus, speaking about Jesus, and it says this. It says, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you, this is talking about Jesus, has set you, Jesus, above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Another translation says it this way. He was anointed with joy above his companions, meaning more so and greater than anyone else around him. So this is fascinating. As we begin to dive into it and look at the original language and things like this, it was was simply in showing us this. Jesus had a joy in life that surpassed the joy of any other who ever lived. Fascinating that we see this in Scripture, but we don't see that in our paintings or in our murals or anything like that. He had a joy that was greater and surpassed any other who ever lived. Now, Jesus is, when he, as he wants us to experience his joy, to have his joy, to produce his joy, or bear his joy in our lives, Jesus is not a joy vending machine that just throws out joy to you whenever you need it. It's not how this works. No, it's, it's so much more intimate that in the fact that he is a God who experiences joy. And in doing so, he experiences joy in abundance. And because of that, it actually overflows out of him into our lives. Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy 
above and beyond his companions above anyone else. And because he was anointed with the oil of joy to that level, to that extreme, this helps us understand verses like Hebrews 12 too, where it says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, how in the most difficult moment of your life here on earth, how could you have joy? How could you, when you were being whipped, when you were carrying your cross, when people were spitting on you, when people were beating you, how could you still have joy? But even in the most difficult time, what happened? We see he had joy. So let's talk about that. That's joy to an extreme that we can barely even wrap our mind around. But let's talk about his joy for a second. Point number two is where it gets really good is simply this. Jesus wants you to have his joy. Jesus wants you to have his joy. He is joyful in good times and in tough times and in bad times and in and, and perfect times. He is joyful. However, he says, I want you to have my joy and to experience my joy. In John 15, 11, it says, these things I have spoken to you. This is Jesus talking. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is right after Jesus talks about abiding in him. He says, be close with me, remain in relationship with me, and in doing so, you're going to produce much fruit. And this is where he, at the very end of that passage, he says, I've spoken these things to you. I've said all of that about abiding to you so that my joy may remain in you. Not fleeting joy, not passing, not just happiness, not just a feel-good feeling, whatever, once in a while, that my joy would be made full. A little bit later on, he takes it further, and Jesus actually prays for his disciples and for his followers. He prays for you and me and his disciples in John 17, and he prays for joy. Let's look at it. John 17, verse 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they, speaking of his disciples, they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He's speaking and praying for his disciples. He says, I'm saying this, I'm doing this so that my joy will be fulfilled in them. It was so, it it so concerned Jesus for us to have his joy among his disciples and among his followers that he prayed for it. And what I love is that it's recorded. There's a lot of what Jesus said that we don't have in our Bible. There's a lot of things he did, a lot of stories that we don't have in here But the Holy Spirit of God said, this must be recorded. When he prays for his disciples, this must be in here. How important then must joy be, not just for his disciples, but also for us as well. God desires to multiply joy in our lives, not subtract it from us. But the world, our culture, and our enemy would convince us that God is just a stuck-up prude that doesn't want us to have joy or enjoy our lives at all. Don't follow Jesus. That's lame. (laughs) You don't get to have any fun. You don't get to do whatever you want. You don't get to have a good time. Why would you commit your life to this? You don't get to have fun. There's no joking around. You better not laugh. Don't do any of that. So why would you follow him? The world tries to convince us otherwise. But scripture is clear that God wants joy fulfilled in our lives. Not just a joy, his joy. Point number three is this. Count it all joy in good times. 
This is where it's easy to be joyful. Count it all joy in good times. It's easy to be joyful in the good times. But what's fascinating about Scripture is the mo- most of the time when it's talking about joy for us, when Jesus speaks about it or when Scripture speaks about it, the majority of the time it's when we're facing difficult times or we're facing uh, um, trials, when we're facing pushback from the culture. Most of the time that Scripture talks about having joy or being joyful is when it is extremely difficult. Extremely difficult. But let's talk about, before we get into that, let's talk about the good times. How do we have joy in the good times? You know, Ecclesiastes 5 talks about enjoying life. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 18 says this, It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them. What has he said? Enjoy life. It's good. It's okay to enjoy, not just relaxing at home, But God's desire is that we would enjoy work. That when I'm working unto the Lord and I'm doing what he's called me to do and I'm walking in his purpose, I am fulfilled and I can enjoy work even when my work is something that's not enjoyable. Something that's not enjoyable. Talk to any first responder and they'll tell you there's many days when work was not enjoyable. But deep in here, they've been anointed and called to do what they're doing. And because of that, they can still enjoy their work when things that they saw and they faced that day was not something that they would even tell their spouse about because it was so horrific. In here, though, they've been anointed to enjoy. That's God's desire for us. Though it may be difficult at times, God wants you to walk in fulfillment of his joy. Look at Ecclesiastes 2, verse 24. It says, So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. Where's enjoyment come from? Enjoyment of of food? Come on, somebody, right? Some good food, right? Drink and work. Where does it come from? He says it only comes from the hand of God. That's the only way you can truly enjoy every part. He says, for who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? Look at verse 26. God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. How amazing that God would say, I want to give you joy. When you read the first two, God gives wisdom and knowledge to those who please him. That sounds pretty good. I will take that as well, right? But God is such an intimate father that he says, I know you're going to face some stuff in this earth. I know you're going to face some stuff in this lifetime. I want you to have joy as well as you walk with me. And if you'll walk with me and abide in me, my joy will be fulfilled in you. And your joy will be full and overflowing. He said, enjoy the good times. It's good to have fun. It's good to laugh often. In fact, I say this quite a bit around here. If we're not having fun while we're following Jesus, we're probably doing it wrong. If we're not having fun while we're following Jesus, we're probably doing it wrong. That doesn't mean that it's all sunshine and sweet treats every single day. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this, Scripture shows us it's okay to enjoy my family, to enjoy life, and to jo- and enjoy work as well. It's, it's good. But the last point I want to make is this as I wrap up. Count it all joy in tough times is point number four. The good times is easy. He says count it all joy in difficult times, in tough times. It's easy to be joyful in the good times. But once again, Scripture mainly talks about having joy 
whenever life is against you, when you're under attack and when things are not going the way that you thought they would go. That's most of the time where it talks about joy. Count all joy in tough times. We see this from James chapter one. James is the brother of Jesus and he writes this to the church. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Let's stop right there for a second. When you read this by yourself and when you're really going through something, if you would be honest, you would say, uh, yeah, right, James. I don't know what you're talking about. Count it all joy when you face these trials. How about no? Uh, that's not how this works, right? I am being pressed and crushed on every side. How can I have joy? Here's what he says, though. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Trials in tough times are inevitable in this life. But he says, count it all joy, not for the trial, right? I'm not sitting there being thankful and joyful for, God, thank you for this tension in my marriage right now. Thank you that we're on the, the brink of divorce at any second. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. That's not what he's saying. Thank you for this, uh, this thing that's, that I'm facing. Thank you that I got laid off today. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, count it all joy, not for what you're facing, but for what God can do through the trial. Here's what he says. He says, trials produce something. Trials have the potential. Trials have potential is really what it comes down to. They have incredible potential. And here's what I would say. Our attitude and our demeanor in the trial is vital to the outcome of the trial. My attitude and my demeanor in the trial is vital to the outcome. If difficulties are received, tough times are received in unbelief and in grumbling and complaining, trials will produce bitterness and discouragement. It's gonna happen. I'm gonna face some tough times, but if I choose to walk into it and just throw out my faith, walk in unbelief, if I choose to get bitter towards God in this situation, it will only produce more bitterness and discouragement. But this is why James, he exhorted us to count it all joy. Here's why. Counting it all joy is faith's response to the time of trial. It's faith response. I'm going to choose to lean into my relationship with God rather than run away. Here's what I mean by this. Here's a great example. Have you ever been surprised by someone's story before? Maybe you got to know someone, you met someone, and when you met them, they're just like, man, I like them. They're, they're friendly, they're loving, they, they, they care, they seem to care about me. Like they just have such a great demeanor, they're joyful. Then you get to know them a little bit more and years later, as you hear more of their story and you get to know what they've been going through, you realize, or maybe you heard, that when you first met them and you thought they're such a joyful person and a kind person and a caring person, you found out that they were actually during that same time going through one of the most difficult things they've ever faced. Have you ever met someone like that? I have. And I would think to myself, how? How could you produce joy that way in your life? Be joyful when you just lost a loved one and I didn't even know about it. How? That is the evidence of the fruit of joy because here's what they chose to do when the trial came and here's how you can get joy and count it all joy in tough times. It's not fake it till I make it, fake it till I believe it, that's not it. When someone has the evidence of the fruit of joy, it's someone who's choosing to run to Jesus rather than from him in bad times and in good times. Lord, this is tough and I don't understand and this feels like an unanswered prayer. I will still choose to go to your feet 
and get on my face and pray to you and thank you and be in your presence. And you will even surprise yourself with what the joy, the joy that will be produced in your life. About a year ago, I was having lunch with a friend. I was scheduled to have lunch with a friend. I was getting ready to meet him. And um, that morning, just a few hours before, I, Leslie and I got a phone call about something in our life that was just so discouraging and just honestly devastating. It was just a gut punch. And I just thought, last thing I wanna do is go be friendly to one of my best friends. But I was like, you know what? We've already scheduled it. We've been rescheduled a million times. I'm just gonna go meet with them. So we go to lunch and as we're talking and as we're having lunch, within the first five minutes, he shares with me about something amazing that God is doing in their life, him and his wife. And when he begins to share, he begins to talk about how God has blessed them in a very specific way. And what God had blessed them with in a very specific way was the exact same thing that Les and I just got a very discouraging and heartbreaking phone call on a few hours before. And my flesh wanted to be furious with God. And my flesh wanted to say, this isn't fair. But I had like an out-of-body experience because all I could do was celebrate him and hug him and, and just have joy in that moment for how faithful God is and how good God is. And afterwards, I just, I was talking with God about it and I'm, I'm, I was like, God, I don't understand. But God reminded me that that morning I had spent time with him in his presence. And it was only because I got into his presence at his feet that I could have joy in a moment that could crush and break my heart even more than it already was. It wasn't because Pastor Dan's so great. It's because God's so faithful. And when you stay connected to him, even in tough times, I run to him and he says, I will produce things in your life that you won't even understand. Joy that is fulfilled, that you shouldn't be joyful, but you have it. It's only through connection with him though. It's only through, I can bear joy, but he is the source of joy. The joy of Jesus isn't something that makes me feel good or just puts me in a good mood. The joy of Jesus gives me strength to endure. And this is why joy during tough times is so vital. Nehemiah 8.10 says this, do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. When I run to Jesus in tough times, I'm accessing his joy. Think about it this way. Whenever you go on a road trip, I'm gonna go to Florida or Kansas City or Dallas. What's the first thing you do? We're gonna fuel up the tank. Fill up the tank so we can get there. We can get to our destination. When I choose to run to Jesus, when times get tough and I could connect with him, abide in him, his joy begins to be fulfilled and produced in my life. And the joy that he's producing is like me filling up my gas tank. I filled the gas tank so I can get to my destination. I can get to where I wanna go. I fill up with joy by being connected to him so I can have the strength to get through this trial. That's how the joy of the Lord is my strength. It is a fuel in me that allows me to see it through and to make it all the way through. And even when you face great trials, you're gonna have to fight for your joy because the last thing your flesh will wanna do is get into the presence of Jesus. Your flesh will fight you on this. Your flesh will say, God's not faithful. His word's not true. He's not for you. He's obviously against you. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said this, I'll put the quote up there. He says, the natural tendency of trouble is not to sanctify, but to induce sin. Here's what he means. A man is very apt to become unbelieving under affliction. That is sin. 
He is apt to murmur against God or shake his fist at God under, under it, and that is sin. He is apt to put forth his hand to some ill way of escaping his difficulty, and that would be sin. What's he saying? When trials come, the natural reaction is to shake your fist at God and say, God, why am I even serving you then? He said, don't do that sin. Uh, he said, you're gonna be tempted to find your own way of escape outside of God's will for you. He says, don't do that, get in his will, pursue him, get at his feet. Anything of me trying to do my own thing to escape, he said, that's sin. He said, you run to Jesus. You'll be tempted to become antsy, to be impatient when you face a trial, but stand in faith. What does that mean? Remain in Christ. What does that mean? Abide. You cannot, when you face tough times, you cannot forsake your time, your daily time in God's word and in his presence. It is the only thing that will get you through and endure you through it. And this is what Jesus talked about in John 16 where he's talking to his disciples and he's telling them that he's leaving for a time. He's gonna be put to death, but he's gonna come back and, and they don't get it as always, but he's explaining it to them. In John 16, 20, this principle applies to us. He says, most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman when she is in labor has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been brought into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. That's the joy of Jesus. No one, no circumstance, no one can steal it from you. But what does he say? I love he says, he doesn't say he would replace sorrow with joy. He says he would turn sorrow into joy. He would transform sorrow into joy. He says, I know it's tough. And I know you've cried more tears than you can count. I know. But he says, trust me, follow me, pursue me. And in doing so, I will turn your sorrow into a joy that no one will take from you. And I love that. In order to experience sorrow being transformed into joy, I must abide. Abiding produces the fruit of the Spirit and joy is the, a fruit of the Spirit. So today, if you're facing tough times, my encouragement to you is this, run to Jesus, don't run from him. You're, the only way you're gonna have strength to see it through and to get through the time, this tough time is to run to Jesus. Don't get mad at him, don't shake your fist at him, you can have honest prayers and talk with God, but let him do a work in you. Run to him, pursue him, stay in his word, pray to him, get on your, your knees and on your face at home. Get in his presence and watch what he will do in you first and in your circumstance second. Because the thing he's really looking to do work in is you, you first. Joy is the strength to endure, take heart, because he said, I'll turn your sorrow, I will turn it into joy when you choose to abide and you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's God's heart for you. Trials will come, but fight for your joy by fighting to stay in his presence. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, today, as we talk about pursuing you, talk about producing the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, I pray right now for anyone in here that is facing a trial in their life, anyone that's facing difficulty, tough times, a confusing situation, Lord, 
I pray for anyone that came in here, and Lord, maybe just this morning or this past week, they have been angry with you because of the season of life that they're in, that they don't understand. Maybe they've, they've shaken their fist at you. They've been upset with you. They've grumbled towards you, Lord. I pray that today, Holy Spirit, would you do a work in their heart? We say, forgive us, Lord. We've all been tempted in situations to do that. Would you forgive us? Holy Spirit, would you help us as our helper? Help us pursue you, Lord God, with everything that we have. Help us stay at your feet. Help us draw close to you in good times. Help us draw close to you in tough times so that we can experience your joy, a joy that no one can take, a joy that is not fleeting, but a joy that is fulfilling. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out abidechurch.com.